Christian in the Campus is a podcast of the Rebels for Christ Campus Ministry. The college campus is a world of competing stories vying for students' attention and allegiance. The goal of this podcast is to orient students towards Christ in this brave new world so that we can bring about a revolution of redemption on the University of Mississippi and Northwest Community College campuses. Tonight we're looking at the idea of salvation. We're going to do that by looking at the entirety of the book of Exodus. Um, don't worry, we're only going to read one passage from it, but I think it sums up the whole thing. So, um, I want to take you somewhere, and I think the book of Exodus wants to take you somewhere, but uh, we've got to do a lot of legwork, okay? Um, there's a lot of thinking we're going to have to do before we get to jump in to the text tonight. So, um, when you think about American Christianity, right? So think about like greater American Christian culture. Um, the focus, our focus has been, when we think about the idea of salvation, is that we are saved from something, right? We are saved from the bondage of sin and death. We are saved from the fires of hell. We are saved from idolatry or, or, or bad things, right? Over and against any idea that we are saved to a certain kind of life. Right? If you've heard a lesson on salvation, it's probably that you're saved from sin and death. And then, well, it usually ends up stopping you. We get you dumped, we get you saved, and then, then what? There's not really a vision that is cast for the Christian life beyond the fact that you need to have a conversion experience. And I think that's produced two extremes in American Christianity. The first is cultural Christianity, and the second is the idea, uh, raise your hand if you heard this phrase, culture wars. So a cultural Christianity is this idea that you are saved from the bondage of sin and death, a.k.a. you are saved from the fires of hell, and you have punched your ticket to heaven, and beyond that, nothing else in your life really changes except for your Wednesday nights and your Sunday mornings are taken up by church. You get to check it off the list each week. But other than that, your life does not in any fundamental way change. And I talk often about the idea of vampire Christianity or the gospel of sin management. Or um, as we talked about, uh, I think in the first or second lesson, the idea of a barcode faith, right? Vampire Christianity. We are just obsessed with Jesus' blood, right? We want to get a little bit of Jesus' blood, and then we want to move on with our life as if nothing happened. Right? His blood's going to cover us. It's going to cover our sin. It's going to be our ticket that, uh, from, you know, that allows us to not go to hell and go to heaven. And beyond that, it doesn't really matter. Or the gospel of sin management. Right? It's going to get my sin taken care of. And once I get taken care of, I just kind of like get to like live in neutral the rest of my life. Or this idea of the barcode faith. Right? That, like, that somehow you do something that like, you know, basically scans the barcode and your ticket is punched to heaven. But hear this. If there's no vision that is cast for the Christian life, there's no vision that is cast for the Christian life beyond just being saved from the bondage of sin and death, being saved from the fires of hell. Well, then we're not going to live it. I mean, think about it. If you got a project with zero instructions, I had a professor um, in grad school. It was my first semester of grad school. Um, I have an undergrad degree in agricultural economics, so it was really like math-based, and I did not write many papers. But I had a professor um, my first semester, and it was, uh, it was in uh, missional theology or something like that. And, and the professor, he was like, he just wouldn't like tell you what he wanted you to do. Like, I mean, you like you had like this general task, and beyond that, you would act like we'd all ask him questions in class. He's like, oh, you know, that's just kind of for you to figure it out, you know. 
And it like, I mean, I mean, and his name is Dr. Moon. Uh, this is going to be on a podcast, but it's okay. Uh, his name is Dr. Moon. I love Dr. Moon, but I mean, we got really frustrated, right? Because he didn't give us, he didn't cast a vision for us of what we, what he wanted for from us, right? He didn't cast a vision for what he wanted from us. And when we have no focus in our Christianity on what we've been saved to, but only what we've been saved from, we are not going to know how we're supposed to live. What is this whole salvation supposed to actually do for us beyond punching a ticket? By the way, the Bible tells us it has a lot in store for us. So we just live up end up living just like our culture does. But if we're given no instruction, no vision is cast for us beyond the fact that we are saved from sin and death, we're going to just end up living the way culture lives, and therefore it's going to be what? Cultural Christianity. Now, on the other end of the spectrum is this idea, I think, of culture wars, right? In which we have equated, and I think many of our culture have done this, in which we've equated that being saved from the bondage of sin and death is the same, the exact same thing as being saved from the world or being saved from culture, right? That the culture or the world is bad and that we need to protect ourselves, right? So that's campus and we're going to huddle up here in our what? Our holy huddle. And that's what salvation is about, is that you are saved from the world and it's not about the life that you live beyond that. It's just that you are not in the world. We know that. And so it's become about what we are against, what we have been saved from rather than what we are for, what we've been saved to. See, I think in American Christianity, the great mistake of American Christianity is that we've only told half the story of salvation. We've only told half the story of salvation. And so we can fall into the trap of looking just like culture or creating a subculture and we're just in a little Christian bubble. Protected, nice and neat. By the way, I don't know, like uh, some of you, if you uh, grew up in, depending on what kind of church you grew up in, uh, you could have been told, you know, you're going to a state college campus, and it's a big, bad place, and, you know, there's bad things, and campus is bad, and so you need to get involved in campus ministry so that you, you know, basically never spend any time out there. It's not what we want to be for you. The Christian life is more than that. Let me ask you this question. When you think of the book of Exodus, what do you think about? What are the stories you think about when you think of the book of Exodus? Tabernacle. Skip it to the good part. What are the, what's the part we really know? When you think of the book of Exodus, what do you think about? Burning bush. Burning bush, right? And what does that lead to? Moses goes and does what? The Exodus. The Exodus, right? There's, what happened? Burning bush, Moses goes to Pharaoh, and then ten things happen. We call them the ten plagues. And then... Um, right, the, the final one is the angel of death or the spirit of the Lord descends upon all the households of Egypt except for those who have put the blood of the lamb on their doorpost. This is called the what? Because they pass over, right? Uh, those, the spirit of the Lord pass over those. But it takes the firstborn of all of Israel. I mean, all of Egypt and not Israel, right? And then they exit and they go through the waters of the Red Sea. And then what happens? What happens after they go through the waters? Well, no, like, literally, the waters do what? They split, and then they come, they come back together, right? And Egypt's destroyed, right? The Egyptian army's destroyed. Okay, and 
what movie have we just given the narrative for? Did anyone grow up watching this? Prince of That's what I'm talking about, man. Very shame you watched Prince of Egypt growing up. Yes. Good job. This is a good room. Prince of Egypt is a great movie. And it tells half the story of Exodus, right? We think about the exit of Exodus, that we are saved from bondage and decay, right? The liberation of a people. But then the story stops there. Right? By the way, Exodus has 40 chapters, and, and y'all are good, y'all are smart, so y'all hit on this. The tabernacle. Exodus is 40 chapters, by the way, the, what we just did, that's only the first 18. The majority of the book of Exodus is about Mount Sinai and the tabernacle. But we've only really told half the story. The defining narrative of our Christianity has probably been that first half. That we are saved from something bad. But we have spent too little focus on what we have been saved to. The Passover happens. They cross the Red Sea. It crashes back in on the Egyptian army. And then what? Is it happily ever after, as the movie seems to suggest? Is it that Israel just moves on with their life as if nothing has happened? Is it that Israel is called to not interact with any of the nations or any of the world or any of culture whatsoever ever again now that they've been saved out of it? No. It's the tabernacle. What does the tabernacle represent? The presence of whom? God, right? And what is the imagery that is portrayed in the tabernacle? The Garden of Eden, right? Good job. You see, the whole narrative of Exodus is the story of God saving his people from the bondage of sin and death. We are saved from sin and death. But then the rest of the story, which we've, I think, forgotten in our Christianity, is that we are saved to a certain kind of life. We are saved to a certain task. We are saved for a life of being commissioned. And when Israel would engage with the book, we, we in our culture, we, we take bits and pieces of books and we, you know, exposit them and we understand them in deep context. But what they would do is they would just listen literally to the whole of the story. They would literally have a reading of the entire 40 chapters of the book of Exodus. And the intent of the book and the intent of doing that exercise as a people, they wouldn't just do it themselves and just sit and listen to it. They would memorize it. And the intent of that is that that would become the orienting narrative in the life of Israel. The, this, this sweeping narrative of being saved from the bondage of sin and death into a certain kind of life, a life that seeks the restoration of all things. That was supposed to be the orienting narrative of the life of Israel. And by the way, that has been passed on to us. That is supposed to be the orienting narrative of our entire life as well. Not just that we're saved from something, but that we're saved to a certain kind of life. And right smack dab in the middle, the kind of linchpin in which this whole narrative turns is Exodus 19, verses 1 through 3. And what do you think it is but a commission? This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob. 
and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt, and how I carried you out on eagles', eagles wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me and fully keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasure possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. We were saved from the bondage of sin and death so that we could do this. We can't stop at half the story. We can't stop at Exodus 18. This is too important. We are not saved from bondage so that we can move on with our life, as if nothing's happened, nor are we saved from the bondage so that we don't interact with the nations or that we don't interact with the world anymore and huddle up in our holy huddle and disengage. But rather, we were saved from a nation. Hear this. We were saved from a nation so that we could then be sent back into the nations as a new people who had the very presence of God among them. This idea of being a kingdom of priests is what we were saved to be. So when you think about, I was saved, you know, I was baptized and my sins were washed away or something like that, right? When you think about that, that, that is only half the story. You were saved from that so that this could happen. The role of priest within Israel is to mediate between God and the people, right? Priest mediate. Thus, on an international scale, Israel is called to mediate between the Lord and all the nations. Israel is to be a display people, a showcase to the world of how being in covenant with God changes a people. Right? Change is going to take place. Something drastic is happening. The whole of Israel's experience, including family life, law, politics, economics, recreation, will reflect God's character and God's original creational design. Right? That's what the tabernacle is all about. Israel's life under God is to testify to the living presence of God within his people. All of these things are supposed to be true of us, true of me and you, true of us as a ministry. It is to be such a full and rich human life that the nations of the earth will be drawn to it. I mean, that means that when the life that we live together as a community, as a people who bear the name of Christ, should be so attractive to campus that they should be drawn to us. They should look at us and say, there's something about them that is different. And it is odd, but man, it's compelling. In this way, Israel will fulfill Abrahamic covenant to, as we said before, bless all the nations. And so what I want to do tonight is I want to ask, what would it look like if we actually got caught up in this narrative? What would it look like if we told the rest of the story and had that become the defining and orienting narrative of our life as individuals and as a ministry? What if we told the rest of the story that we're not just saved from sin and death, but we're saved from sin and death so that we can be a kingdom of priests? So that we can be saved to a certain kind of life. A life that is going to proclaim to the world that God is the true king. And that in him is life and life to the full. That's what salvation is about. And so salvation, first off, is more than just punching a ticket to heaven. It's salvation that only saves us from sin and death and the consequence, a.k.a. hell, is no Christian salvation at all. 
That is exactly what cultural Christianity, vampire Christianity, and the gospel of sin management tell us. They try to convince us on some level that this idea that, that you know, like, that, that salvation is nothing more than just, you know, kind of this ticket punch to heaven is like a good thing, right? Because it costs nothing of us. It tells us that we can just keep on keeping on with our life. They try to sell us on this idea that, like, God just kind of shoving us into neutral, you know, taking us out of bad, but just kind of shoving us into neutral to kind of live on our lives, meandering through. It's like a good thing. The Christian life has so much more to offer than that. Salvation has so much more to offer than that. You see, nothing in this life, no matter how hard we grasp to it, stays in neutral. Everything in this life is either moving forward or atrophying. Is either developing or devolving. There's no such thing as being in neutral. And God has no intention and no desire for us to achieve it. Neutral is like just halfway there. You ever tried to drive your car neutral? It didn't work. Neutral isn't God's goal. He's come, as Jesus said, to offer us life and life in the full. But that life is not an easy life, right? That life that brings purpose and meaning and value to our very existence calls us to be distinct and different from the world. We can't just be cultural Christians. Because we're supposed to be different from culture. But in that same turn, that's the very blessing of salvation. The fact that we are different from culture is the very blessing of salvation. Because what is culture? What is our world without God? It is a world full of idols that are trying to frame and fill and define our lives and deceive us into a cruel bondage. Materialism deceives us into the cruel bondage of this idea that I need more, I need more, I need more. Whether that be money or material things or a certain status item or an item that will give me status. You can so easily be deceived into the cruel bondage that you are nothing more or less than your last grade. And so you just go up and down with how you're doing in school. That you are nothing more or less than your last achievement. That is a cruel bondage. You can be deceived into the cruel bondage that you're nothing more or less than what the opposite gender thinks about you. By the way, if you're a female, guys are absolute idiots, and so you shouldn't just let that, you should just not let that happen. You see, if we don't capture a vision of not just being saved away from culture, but saved to a certain kind of life, then we're just going to fall back in to the same idolatry that we had. We're just going to fall back into it. Because something is going to sit on the throne of your life. And so salvation is much more 
than just a ticket to heaven. There's much more than just scanning your barcode that allows your name to be on the scroll up yonder. Salvation to a certain kind of life that has lived in the very presence of God. That has lived on mission with them. That is pulled out of culture so that we can be sent back into culture. And bring out the best in it. Rather than the idols. Salvation. This is the second point. Salvation is life to which God saves us. It sends us into the world. Right? We can't get caught up in culture wars. We can't get caught up in disengaging and being a holy huddle that doesn't touch the world. God doesn't save us from the world to protect us from it. He saves us from the world so that we can be transformed and then be agents of transformation. If Israel was to live in God's blessing and invite others into it, it had to be set free from the service of other gods that bound it. By the way, Israel and Egypt, they probably were worshiping the, 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 the Egyptian gods. Over 400 years of slavery, they probably started just, it's not that they got rid of Yahweh, but they probably added gods to Yahweh. As part of the saving that happened. God says, no, these gods aren't real. I'm the one who will take you out on eagle's wings. And then I have something for you, right? Only then, so all of this happened, all of that saving from happened, only then could they embody God's original creational design. And the eschatological just means end time. Goal of a restored humanity. A humanity that would bear the image of God. A humanity that would be a king or a priest. A humanity that would mediate the presence of God out into the nations. And would mediate the, the reign of God into the world. Redemption or salvation releases Israel, right? We're saved from to fulfill the Abrahamic role and identity. To be the people through whom God would bless all the nations. That's the kind of life we're supposed to live. It is exciting. It is scary, but it is exciting, right? As we are saved, we're not holed up in our holy huddle away from the brokenness of the world, but God has saved us for a purpose. Our lives matter. God has saved us to extend his saving presence out into the confusion and the pain and the loneliness that surrounds us. I mean, think about it this way, right? We as a kingdom of priests, we as image bearers are supposed to bring what to what? Do you all remember this? We bring blank to blank. Order to? Good job. We as image bearers are supposed to be the people. And what this is all about is be a people who bring order to chaos. But how can you bring order to chaos if you're holed up in your holy huddle away from all the chaos? You can't. See, this life to which we have been saved sends us, and therefore it may push us out of our comfort zones to engage the world as agents of restoration might put us in a position where we feel inadequate or out of place. It may make us cross barriers, whether that be language or cultural, economic barriers. It may force us to wrestle with doubt and sins that we didn't even know that we had. It may ask of us empathy. The act of entering into someone else's pain without trying to fix it. Mm -hmm. 
But that life that pushes us out of our comfort zone, the salvation that sins is the very blessing of our salvation. It is the life and life to the full that Jesus came to give. Just as Israel is supposed to be a kingdom of priests, we are supposed to be a ministry of ministers. I think when we hear kingdom of priests, we probably hear this, a kingdom with priests. And therefore, we translate that to we're a ministry with ministers. And so we hire professionals to do the work of ministry. But that's not the case, right? Because you saved through the waters of baptism. The promise, the promise of Scripture is that you are what? You are sealed with what? You're sealed with what? The promise of the... Someone's got to know this one. Holy... Someone finish it, come on. Spirit, right? The same Holy Spirit that descended upon the tabernacle, the same Holy Spirit that descended upon the temple, the same Holy Spirit which led Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted, fills me and you. And therefore, we are mediators of God's presence. There's no such thing as, oh, well, that's a minister's job, or that's a shepherd's job, or that's, you know, Mary Beth job, or Julie's job, or Dale and Moore's job. There's, there's, there's no such thing as that. We are all ministers. We are all sealed with the Holy Spirit, and therefore we are all burdened to be sent out to the world and be mediators of that presence of God. We are supposed to be the people. And by the way, this is our salvation. When I'm talking about this, I'm talking about salvation. We need, to, we need to connect these things. This idea of being saved from sin and death needs to be connected to this idea that I'm talking about now. We are to be a people, as saved people, who go out into the world in all the brokenness, in all the pain, in all the confusion, in all the chaos, and point and say, hey, man, that's got to work. And I know that because I've been sealed with his Holy Spirit. God's restoring that. God's redeeming that. God's saving that. That's a piece of his originally good creation, and he has no intention, no intention whatsoever of abandoning it. That's what we're supposed to do. And it's uncomfortable, but it's an exciting life full of purpose and meaning and value. And so what I want to do tonight to close, I got time, is to ask this question. How can we as a ministry, or you as an individual, be a kingdom of priests today? How can we live into this narrative of being a people who are not just saved from sin and death, but saved to a life of being commissioned? What would it look like for us to do that out on campus? I do want answers. We can invite people here. Invite people here, right. Uh, there was a great post by campus ministry <laughs> that I follow. Uh, it's the 10 steps for how to uh, invite someone to church. Will you go to church with me? Maybe it's eight, seven steps, right? It was like, it was, this, it was this great, like, it was this great little thing, right? Invite someone to church. What else can we do? What else will it look like for us to be a kingdom and priest down on that campus? Offer to pray for someone? Yeah. Offer to pray for someone? Yeah. yeah. And by the way, you know, you can do that randomly, like you see someone hurt, but you can also be like, 
What if you just started praying with your roommates? Especially if you're a freshman and you don't know them. Like, what if you just started praying with your roommates once a week? What would that look like? What, what could happen if you just happened to start doing that? What might God do with it? Where might God take that? What transformation might take place when we open up a little space for the Holy Spirit to work? All right, what else? What would it look like for us to live into this identity, to live into this story that we're not just saved from sin and death, but we're saved to a certain kind of life, a life which we're kingdom of priest? You really got to be confident in yourself, and with that, you got to be confident in what you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think on that, like, part of trusting yourself is trusting God to be at work in you, right? Right, like, how many of you probably feel inadequate to talk to a non-Christian about, like, faith? I mean, I do. I have a, a grad school degree, and I feel incompetent in doing that. A grad school degree in theology, and feel incompetent doing that. Doesn't matter. If you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, you're going to trust that the Holy Spirit's going to work. What else? Maybe one or two more. What will it look like for us to be a kingdom of priests out on that campus? Serve. serve, yeah. Right? Like, in what ways? Charity you're from here. There's a food pantry here, yeah. Um, there's a food pantry on campus and serve in that way. Also, too, like, there's big, like, the kind of organizations, but also, like, having a mind of service, right? Look, I mean, yet again, like, we like big picture things or like we like big things where it's just like this one big task and if we do that task, you know, we, you know, we can say that we, you know, we checked off the box that we've done service, but like, I keep going back to your roommates, but like, go back to your roommate. What is a way, I mean, ask yourself this question. What is one way you can serve your roommate this week? That's being a kingdom of priest. That is bringing order to chaos inside of someone else's life. Ask yourself, where is there you know, chaos happening in my roommate's life? How can I bring some order and peace into that? What would that look like? Maybe it's the praying with them. Maybe it's doing some service for them. But I mean, inside of the relationships that you already have, how can you be a person that mediates the presence of God? Let's get one more, and then we'll, we'll move on. Like, uh, just talking to people. Uh, I think nowadays especially, it's it's been a day or two since I've been in class. Uh, but, I mean, when I, when I was in school, I mean, a lot of my classes were in like big lecture halls in the, in the business buildings. And I had several computer classes and, and whatnot. And every time before class or whatnot, everybody would just be sitting on my phones. I mean, but there's been plenty of times that I actually don't even care much for my phone. I'd be fine to get rid of it right now. But uh, I'd sit down, and everybody, every which way, would be on their phone or getting stuff ready for class, which is normal. But I mean, there's been plenty of times you just, you know, say hey to the person sitting next to you. I mean, it, it, you can't reach out to somebody and, you know, bring them here or, you know, start to have those discussions with people until you know them. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, like, you, I mean, yeah, you'd be a really weird person if you just started walking up to people and like, hey, you want to learn about God? Like, it, it's, uh, yeah, it's yeah. kind of weird. I mean, it, yeah. it's bad to say, but, you know, you kind of have to have a little bit of relationship with people. So, I mean, it's a scary thing, but, I mean, if you say hey to somebody, the worst thing that you want to do is just not say Not say anything, yeah. I mean, it's, there's nothing to be scared of. I mean, I'm going to freak out on you and, you know, hit you or anything. I mean, they're just going to not say anything. So, I mean, just say hey to somebody, start yeah. talking to them. 
strike up a conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, also too, there's value in doing that in and of itself, right? There's value in just like humanity, right? Of like looking someone in the eye and actually having a conversation. I think that is an act of bringing order to the chaos that cell phones have brought into our world. And eventually, yeah, you want it to get to God, but it's gonna take a few conversations. And it's okay if it takes a really long time to build up to that point. But we can't be afraid to talk to people. We can't be afraid to talk to people. We're called to live in, in this tension. That we are, we are holy, right? You're a holy nation, you're a kingdom of priests. We're set apart, right? We are set apart. We are distinct from the world around us as those who bear the name of God and are sealed with his Holy Spirit. But we are set apart for a task. We are set apart to be sent back into the world. And so the question is not this. Hear this, right? We live in this tension of, of we're like holy, but engaged. And the goal is not to find some sort of balance between these two things, right? I've kind of got to be you know, kind of holy and like also like kind of engaged in this world. I mean, that's just like, uh, that's just getting caught in no man's land. That's not going to be helpful. The question needs to be is how can I live into both fully? How can I live both into this idea? Hey, hold on that wedding ring now. <laughs> how do I live into this tension? of being fully holy, but also fully engaged, because being holy requires us to be engaged because our salvation sends us into the world. How do we live into both fully, not how do we find a balance between the two? And, and there's so many places I could go with this, but let me just close with this thought. I think your presence tonight here is the first step on being able to do that. We gather tonight to worship and pray and, and to be transformed by the word of a God who the kingdoms of campus don't recognize. Not just to check off some religious box and move on with our lives, nor just to huddle up in our Christian bubble so that we can be safe and disengaged from that campus. That's not what we gather. We gather tonight to be drawn out of that campus. Just as Israel was drawn out of Egypt so that we can go back into it as a people who are transformed and sealed with the Holy Spirit and then be agents of restoration and redemption, reconciliation, to be agents of Eden, to be God's special ops in the world. We are saved out of the world to be sent back into it. And all of our religious activity, whether it be connect on Wednesday night or Sunday morning worship or FaceTime groups on Sunday night or, or, or your prayer groups that you do, all of this religious activity follows that rhythm and pattern, right? You're drawing yourself. You're allowing God to draw you out of the world. You're allowing yourself to disengage so that you can be transformed and then re-engage. God doesn't just draw us out. He always sends us back in. God is a missional God. He always sends, and he always is sending us back into our identity as a missional being, a sent being.